0: Was the week after budget and all through City Hall, not a motion was tabled. Council had dealt with them all. The tax rate increased, set at 1.91%, and to Prosperity
1: Edmonton, they said a heartfelt get bent. Despite the media's reports of a vindictive decrease, there's still an extra $1 earmarked for police. A summer's unrest ended with no cuts for the coppers because Karen and Cartmel wanted a ride in the chopper. Now Edmonton Transit with their fares locked at 350
0: can continue their service unimproved since the 60s. But what about business, the job creators you snub? Here's 1.8 million to shut the More up. More funds
1: for public washrooms, give people places to pee, but maybe equipped with a catheter? Rice questioned the need. Every 46,000, it's up for debate. But 300 mil for a rec center? Yep, sure, sounds great. The self-proclaimed team builder
0: who wants to help others grow, on questions round two, Councillor Jans votes no. And with everyone talking until his ears start to ache, Paquette calls the question. It's time for his
1: break. Yes, Andrew. Yes, Ashley. Yes, Aaron and Sarah. Stevenson, Jans, Wright, Tang and Aaron. Approve our operating budget. It needs to get passed. Though Principe, Rice and Cartmel just couldn't be asked.
0: After many long hours of reports and debate... Once so he saw it was done, he put a spring in his gate. He sauntered straight out of chambers, and his best Santa's wail said, Happy budget to all, and your bills in the mail! No, Santa, no, I don't have time for this right now. I have to record a podcast. The people need to know what happened to the budget season. Well, I know that Deg is delicious, but I can't drink it right now. Wait. Give me 30 minutes, okay? Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 161, your bonus budget episode. Normally, we break after Jeopardy, but this year, council, they had a few more budget items they just wanted to get done, and turns out they were kind of interesting. So we're here to talk about
1: them, and you can come listen if you want to. But of course, we have to pay our bills first, so here's an ad speaking municipally is a proud member of the alberta podcast network locally grown community supported and this episode is brought to you by park power your friendly local utilities provider in alberta offering internet electricity and natural gas with low rates awesome service and profit sharing with local charities in alberta you get to choose who to buy your internet electricity and natural gas from park power has low overhead which in turn allows them to offer low competitive rates You can reach out for a no-obligation comparison by emailing estimates at parkpower.ca. If you decide to switch, it's easy. It's really just a change to your billing and you can feel good knowing you are helping to give back to our communities with your utilities bills. You can learn more at parkpower.ca. So Mac,
0: when we closed last week's episode, well, it was Jeopardy!, but the week before that, council was jumping into budget and we had some predictions. And looks like... We were both off by about a million dollars.
1: Yes, that is the big highlight from this budget. Council went through and on Friday, December 17th, finalized the 2022 capital and operating budgets and uh, the police ended up with a $1 million increase. So
0: no freeze. We'll have plenty of time to get into and dig into the police item, but let's not forget that there's another like... 3 billion operating dollars
1: on the table. So it's worth talking about it. What were some of the other highlights of this budget? In the end, City Council approved a tax levy increase of 1.91% for 2022, which is up slightly from the uh, proposed 1.8% when this budget came forward, but down from the originally proposed, I think it was 2.6% in the four year budget. We're in the last year of this four year budget. 1.9%. That is lower than basically every other major municipality in Canada and lower than everybody in the region except for Leduc maybe or very close to Leduc. They might have been right at 2.0%. So in any case, not a huge spending year compared to other cities and other municipalities in the region for Edmonton. So I think a lot of people are happy about that. And one of the big reasons, of course, that it came down that far is that instead of a 0.7% increase for the police they got 0.06% for the increase. One of the highlights definitely a freeze on transit fares. So they were set to go to $4. Council voted to keep it at the same rate as 2021, so 350, which was one of the most unanimous quickly voted on amendments to the whole budget.
0: It wasn't a budget that was unanimous and quickly voted on. In general, uh, there was a lot of debate including uh, some New Robert's Rules of Order that uh, you hadn't really experienced much in a budget before. We had, for the first time in my memory during a budget season, had someone call the question.
1: Yeah, this was very interesting. So this was part of the capital budget discussion, and they were talking about permanent public washrooms. And there was a, an amendment from Ann Stevenson, the councillor for O'Dayman, who wanted to spend $2 million on building some permanent Public washrooms. And they got into this discussion. We heard from Erin Rutherford in Nolnick that there was only five public washrooms in her entire ward, and three of those are in Castle Down, so they're concentrated. And of course, we know that downtown and in the central part of the city, there's a far greater need for public washrooms than there are public washrooms available. So they had this discussion back and forth. Nobody knew how much public washrooms are going to cost. So, I mean, we're talking $2 million. Out of the $600 million or something we're spending next year, how many public washrooms are we going to get for that? That wasn't really answered, although if you look it up, the public washrooms on White Avenue cost about $500,000, so not, uh, not many is the answer. <laughs> we also heard that porta-potties are not a great approach. There's lots of reasons that that didn't work out. But To your point, Councillor Jennifer Rice started questioning how many people really need this Do people actually need public washrooms? And this conversation kind of got derailed a little bit until Aaron Paquette spoke up and said, this is as low a risk, high reward item as we're ever going to have before us. And he basically said that funding this should be a slam dunk. And then he called the question, which means that the motion amendment had to go to a vote immediately. So it puts an end to any more questions or discussion. And they approved it 11 to 2 with uh, Councillor Karen Principe and uh, Jennifer Rice opposed. And as you point out, that's the first time that I can remember uh, a calling of the question in uh, certainly a very long time. It wasn't the only instance
0: of councillors perhaps getting a little bit frustrated with the length of budget. I saw towards the end, there was a motion for a second round of questioning. There were a couple no votes to a second round of question. Usually, you know, council just grants, okay, if we have more questions, another five minutes all around, everyone can ask the questions they want to ask. But I suspect some counselors were getting frustrated with The length of the budget discussion, especially with the size of it. I know my personal favorite was right after the police budget discussion. Council spent the better part of a couple of hours debating $49,000, I think. Yep. Which, you know, it's good to be prudent with your finances, but also... We probably paid them more than $49,000 to sit there for that time.
1: <laughs> this was 49000 for the Millwood's President's Council Summer Festival. And uh, at one point in that long debate, as you uh, pointed out, they even thought about postponing this until the spring. And in the end, they voted to spend that money eight to five. And uh, yes, definitely a bit of a long discussion. There were many points at which you heard some of the more senior councillors, the uh, returning councillors like Councillor Paquette, Councillor Hamilton in particular, say, you know, we got to move things along here. Can we maybe limit our questions to one round? Can we make sure the questions we're asking are really about information gathering? Because there's just no way that we're going to get to the end. And they extended orders twice in order to uh, give themselves more time to to finish everything for budget. So you talked about
0: the returning councillors right there uh- offering some stewardship of budget. But one of the interesting things about this budget is it's the first with this fresh council who broadly are incumbent defeaters, new to council. Uh, there are eight new faces on council compared to last year. I thought it was very interesting to see some of the voting blocks, relationships, rivalries, all that good drama start to form. I think, in my mind, the clear indication was we have another sort of quote unquote left versus right voting block forming but the left wins at least that's in the items we've seen so far this year
1: yeah i think the uh, the voting kind of split along two lines for most of the amendments that they considered throughout this whole budget so the first is as you say kind of 10 to 3 left versus right progressive versus conservative or at least i think the, the labels we would typically associate those councilors with there were definitely some motions that had a mix of those folks because as we know at the municipal level that's you know one of the greatest parts about municipal politics is that uh, it isn't just left and right it's not party based or anything like that so there was some there was a mix but then the other clear block seemed to be old versus new and uh, the four, you know, Hamilton, Cartmel, Paquette, and Knack voting together, and one of the other councillors, you know, maybe Karen Tang or somebody, acting as a bit of a, a bit of a split vote. The mayor solely often ended up with either the new councillors or that more progressive uh, block of of voters. With our previous council, there was always
0: in addition to the voting blocks, noticeable rivalries on council. Maybe rivalries is too strong. They're not sworn enemies, but I'm thinking Mike Nichol and Ben Henderson as an example of councillors who very frequently butt heads in both questions, in debate, and on the results of motions. Are we seeing any of that develop?
1: Perhaps. I think there's two possibilities. Well, one really strong possibility, and that was Councillor Cartmel and Councillor Jans. So Michael Jans put forward the amendment to freeze the police budget, which Counselor Carmel was vehemently opposed to and uh, reiterated numerous times both throughout the discussion and in his closing remarks on budget. And the reason I uh, this stood out for me is I remember some point after the police budget, Counselor Carmel put forward a motion to uh, increase the budget for the aerial mosquito program to restore it basically back to 2020 level. So spraying uh, for mosquitoes. And we almost, almost heard from Mike Jenkins, the bug guy, but uh, alas, he wasn't on the call. But it stood out to me because Michael Jans, who's usually, in my opinion, a fairly reasoned counselor and will give a logical sort of explanatory reason for why he feels something, spoke up and said, no, 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 that's stupid. I think this is a stupid idea. I can't, I think, I don't think there's a worse idea than this. <laughs> and it, <laughs> it very much felt like he was just angry at Cartmel and, you know, wanted to display that through an immediate, like, no vote on this, right? So in the end, it was carried 12 to 1 with only actually Aaron Rutherford in opposition. But uh, that was one of the items that stood out as maybe there's something there between these two councillors. Maybe that'll turn into something. And then the only other one that maybe is a potential thing was there there was a couple of points in which Councillor Jennifer Rice was talking a bit about process or asking questions or making some comments like, I'm going to ask this because I don't think it's fair that this other thing happened or whatever. And and the mayor uh, a couple of times had to say, no 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 no. I'm the chair. <laughs> this is how this meeting is being run. And so I wonder if there could be something there, uh, you know, in the future as well. It was it was interesting uh listening to the budget over those days because we heard a lot of Adam Lachlan, of course, during the capital budget period, but it was the comments from Corbold, the now city manager Andre Corbold at the end which kind of caught my ear a little bit. He made a point in the meeting, and then this also made it into the city's news release, of saying that the $689 million they're spending in the capital budget for 2021 and beyond, so what they approved and uh, what was already previously approved, will support up to 3,830 jobs in Edmonton as they go through the construction process. And corbold talked about it in the meeting as being a kind of reinvestment or an investment in Edmonton's economic recovery coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, leaving aside for a moment the fact that we don't seem to be exiting the pandemic anytime soon, uh, it was interesting to me that a city bureaucrat is talking about job creation. Because as far as I know, Troy, we don't actually really benefit as a city directly, like the city of Edmonton or the politicians, by creating those jobs, right? The federal and provincial governments, when they do this, you know, they're announcing job creation because it helps them get reelected, but they also actually generate revenue when they create jobs, right? There's income tax and things like that that we collect. The city doesn't do it that way. We don't collect any of that. It's kind of like, yeah, it's good for Edmonton if we have more jobs here, but. To tout that as the reason why they're making these investments seemed a bit strange to me for, um, you know, through a municipal lens. We would have
0: benefited from additional job creation as a city if the City Charter Fiscal Framework Act wasn't repealed in October of 2018 by the UCP government. You're absolutely right about this point. Uh, And it reminds me that Andre Corbald comes from the provincial ministries, where if you are touting job creation, that's just like a bonus. We get votes for the politician. Every provincial politician wants to be creating jobs constantly. right? Maybe he's just on autopilot and this is his go-to <laughs> press release comment is, look at all the jobs.
1: Yeah, I don't recall this being the way that we framed not so directly, at least, you know, maybe the mayor like Iveson or somebody in the past would have said, oh, it's great that, you know, we're investing back in the city and we're creating jobs and people are going to, you know, help us build the city forward. But to have like 3,830 jobs, somebody was tasked with calculating that specific number. Like they knew they wanted to put this in the news release, right? It it was definitely a a point that Corbold seemed to want to emphasize.
0: I think there's something that we want to emphasize and that's, The big item. Uh, We've delayed it long enough. Let's talk about the police budget because this was the tentpole item of this budget adjustment. This was the standard bearer for what this new council will be. And the end result is this new council will be eh, $1 million more.
1: This was the discussion for most of Wednesday, December 15th. They decided when they got finished uh, with the Capitol and and moved on to operating that they would just start with the big one, which is the police budget, and and, uh, decided they didn't want to talk about any other amendments until they got this sorted. And so the motion uh, on the table was, uh, the amendment on the table, I should say, was from Michael Jones, which was to freeze the police budget essentially by an ongoing reduction of $11.9 million starting immediately and that that money would then be reallocated to address uh, houselessness, community development and community safety, social services, prevention and response programs. Some of the things council would agree upon in this meeting and other things that they would determine in the future.
0: And that motion failed. We didn't get a freeze, but that wasn't the end of it. This wasn't a pass or fail. We freeze the budget or we give the police the raise. There was a sort of stacked amendment process. So because Michael is freeze, the most impactful change to the police budget was voted down. They moved on to the next budget item, which was a motion from Erin Rutherford, which in effect gave the police a $1 million raise, which she said should be used to give statutory pay for the truth and reconciliation holiday.
1: I mean, this was problematic for a couple of different reasons, right? One is that, as we've seen, Rob Hooley, who we've had on the show before, was tweeting about this and how many in the indigenous community feel like this is just another example of the racism that is inherent to the police, to be utilizing the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation as an excuse for increasing their budget or to say that doing this costs more money. The mayor actually said this in his remarks, you know, it came up in the previous week when the police commission and the and the police chief were presenting to council and they brought it up that there was an increase in overtime pay to cover the costs of recognizing that day. And in this meeting, Mayor Sohi said, you know, I understand they were trying to be transparent with us, but everyone else in the country and our organization just absorbed that money because it was the right thing to do. So that's the first reason it's problematic. And Erin Rutherford's, we're going to call it an amendment to the amendment, even though that's not really what it was. It was a fill in the blank amendment, which we can explain if you want. But that's why she said, well, okay, if we're not going to freeze all of it, let's give them the million for that. We'll make it 10.9. Uh, why this is it problematic? is it was Councillor Salvador asked administration, if this is the reason that we're giving them the million dollar increase, how do we know that that's what they spend the money on? And administration basically said what we already know, which is that we have no way to tell how this police spends any of the money that we give them. We don't get that level of detail. It came up a couple of times in the discussion, actually, when, when counselors had questions of administration. And they basically said, you know, we don't have the detail to tell you where they spend that or how much they spend that on. So we gave them a million purportedly for this day, but we don't know if that's what it'll be spent on. And I want to emphasize that point. We talked about this
0: in a previous episode, but it bears repeating. Every other budget amendment, every other request for money, it's coupled with a written report. It's coupled with data. It's coupled with reasoning and justification. The police, the largest line item in the city's budget, not only didn't give a written report, they only gave a verbal report. They also used fear-mongering, at one point, the police chief seemed to, through an innuendo, suggest that I sure hope council doesn't have a call for service after they reduce our budget. It was a very thinly veiled threat. Absolutely, Coupled with the entire conversation from the police chief and from the EPS organization, which was broadly based on fear, I think it's pretty galling that... We have no insight whatsoever into their budget. We don't know how much they spend on office administration versus salaries other than, you know. A really high level, yeah. Yeah, we we know broadly they spend a lot on salaries, but we don't have any specifics versus with the city. We have it broken down into full-time equivalents, part-time equivalents, what department each of these are in. We have a lot of information and the police just doesn't provide that. And yet they want more and more money while already being the largest line item. I think it bears repeating that it is an absurd prospect that we're continuing to give raises to this black box. And many counselors, Michael Jans included, caught on to that and said, why are we still giving more money without any sense of if we're getting a positive return on investment?
1: Yeah, Counselor Paquette, Counselor Knack, they talked about this quite a bit actually in their discussions. They talked about these amounts feeling arbitrary. And, you know, I think broadly, almost everybody around the table, even Cartmel said at one point that you know, he agrees with the idea here, the general direction that we need to change what we're doing. We can't keep doing what we're doing. He just disagreed about the timing. I think broadly, everybody agreed with that. But, you know, the strategies seem to be different. You had Counselor Paquette basically saying, we need to have this data in order to make an informed decision. And then you had others like Aaron Rutherford and Michael Jans basically saying, We need to take some action now. Like we already know that people want us to do something about this. We can always ask for more information. Let's do something about it now. We had uh, almost a bit of a vote on Both of those strategies. And in the end, the way that they ended up ordering the options to vote on meant that we didn't actually get a vote on that second one, which is like we agree broadly with the direction, but maybe disagree on the timing. It could have been even worse, Troy. We almost had an amendment to make it 6.2 million because we learned that the Edmonton police are projecting a deficit of $6.2 million by the end of the calendar year. Andre corbold spoke up, and this is one of the rare instances in which he kind of nudged council with a bit of direction and said, you know what? No one has asked us to solve that problem. The police commission did not say, hey, we have a deficit. It would be great if you could help us out. And so council kind of backed away from coming up with an amendment to, uh, to address the deficit.
0: I'll get to the stacking of amendments and how absurd that process is to me in a second. But I want to touch on what you mentioned, that broadly across the table, everyone sort of agreed that we needed to change direction with policing. And that's pretty stark. And that's a pretty exciting change. Because if you think back to the last council, who, you know, four of these members were on that council, the idea of defunding the police frankly was a little bit absurd and far-fetched. It's a lofty pipe dream. In fact, we saw it when council had the opportunity to drastically reduce police funding, they instead decreased the 17 million dollar raise for the police by 5 million dollars for 2 years only. It was a very yeah. tepid basic response. And now there's a freeze on the table and anyone arguing against the freeze isn't saying, "Oh no, no, we can't do this. It's oh, no, I'm very supportive of this. Just maybe tweak it a little bit. There was no let's fund the police, rah, 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 that just wasn't present.
1: I think that's true. Yeah. I mean, even Cartmell, who spoke most forcefully in defense of the police, more so on the last day when he made his closing remarks on the, you know, the overall operating budget motion, he said, you know, the tripping point for him, he voted no to the operating budget. He said the tripping point for him was the police decision. And his main rationale was back to the timing. He said that, you know, the decision essentially gives the police just two weeks to the end of the year to figure out what they're doing. I think that's a little bit charitable. They knew for most of the year that they were running a deficit, they would have known that if the deficit carries over, they have to repay it back from the reserve. And they would have known that the reserve fund was going to be in deficit itself, which means, guess who covers the bill? City council. Maybe the police weren't that strategic, but I think Cardmel was being a little bit charitable with his remarks. But the other thing he said is that it puts us in an aggravated relationship. And he said, it feels punitive. That is going to really hurt morale. And at that point, he lost me because they got a million dollars more than they did last year. And we have Councillor Cartmel calling that punitive. And we have the police chief making veiled threats that safety and security with an extra million dollars won't be as good as it was the year before. It just seems like a bit of a stretch to me for that to have any basis in reality.
0: So let's talk a little bit about that, because that's a little bit confusing as a message, you know, to say that we're punishing someone by giving them a million dollars or that we aren't able to provide service by getting more funding than we currently have. This aligns with a line of discussion that we've seen from the police and from city council and from city administration that has been broadly confusing, obfuscated, very difficult to follow. And I think there was no better example of that confusion and obfuscation than trying to prepare for this. Because you, in your due diligence and doing the hard work of this podcast while I show up and rant... (laughs) (laughs) Actually tried to look into tracking the motions for what happened to the police budget at what point and based on what motions.
1: And you kind of hit a brick wall. It's very confusing. This came up a number of times during the meeting. Counselors trying to get clarity on, you know, what happened in 2021 with the 2020 vote. How much is the increase? Why does this motion say $11.9 million? Where did that come from? You know, it came from Councillor Jans consulting with administration about what the increase was going to be. And so a lot of this comes back to the police service Funding formula, which is meant to or was intended to provide predictable increases to the police. We kind of derailed that as a city, I guess, in 2020. So in July, that was after the public hearings. And that's when council essentially said, bring us amendments to reduce the police budget by $11 million and also to suspend the police service funding formula pending review and reframing as this community safety and well being funding policy. That has not come back. There is no subsequent clear motion that I can find that either formally suspends the funding formula or formally suspends and then reinstates the funding formula. And why that's significant is that there's also no formal motion on that $11 million. What happened is they said in July, bring us the amendments, they didn't vote on those amendments specifically. They were included as part of the overall budget adjustment that they voted on in 2020. So to me, that's the same thing as saying that the police funding, ser- police service funding formula should now be suspended. We did it the same way, but that's not really what has happened. And it's clear now that the reason we got to $11.9 million for this year as the increase is that we took the four-year budgeted increase and subtracted the 5.5, because remember, we cut 11 split over two years. And that's how we got there. And if that, if you didn't follow any of that, that's kind of the point. Like it is very confusing to follow how we got the numbers that we got, how council's direction over time has been implemented and put into place, and where we're going to be going into the next four year budget. In theory, we should be receiving an update now on this funding formula to create. Uh, a new policy, this uh, community safety and well-being funding policy. And at that point, they should be able to make some determinations about what goes into the next four year budget. But if you go and read the funding formula as it is today, each increase is supposed to be based on the previous year's budget. As far as I can tell, we calculated this once at the end of 2018 and have just adjusted up or down by these uh, couple of decisions since. We haven't recalculated every single year. I don't know, Troy, 100% if that's true, if that's accurate. That's what it looks like if you do the numbers. I've spent quite a bit of time trying to figure this out. I'm sure the counselors have, and I don't think anybody is super clear on exactly how we got to where we are. Let's take a breath. We
0: went pretty deep in the weeds there. Very deep. Let's jump further into the weeds. Let's talk about the amendment process, because this was a huge frustration for me this week. When council was voting on what they want to do with the police budget, the motions were stacked in a fill in the blanks format. The functional effect of it is there were three motions that were going to come forward one to freeze the police budget, one to give the police one million more dollars, and one to eh, do nothing but freeze the police budget next year. Right. And those motions were then stacked in order of highest impact, which by the city clerk was deemed to be the first motion is freeze and then $1 and then freeze next year as the impact. And council then goes down in order. As soon as a motion passes, you're done. The rest of the amendments don't get voted on. So if you are a theoretical counselor who, say, wants to freeze the police budget, but Maybe as flexible on the timing. You want to freeze the police budget either now or next year, but you don't want to give the police an extra million dollars for Truth and Reconciliation Day because that rubs you the very wrong way and that rubs you as sort of using Indigenous communities to fund police and that gives you sort of like really egregious, icky feels. That's yes. a perfectly reasonable viewpoint to have. That's impossible to vote for because in order... To reflect that opinion, to say that you would prefer zero over 1 million, but you'd really prefer to freeze it next year, which may have been the case for NAC or Cartmel, we'll never know. They had to vote no on the first one and then call the vote on the second one without ever voting to the third one. We need ranked ballots for stacked motions. That's my thesis statement. Frankly, what we saw in this police motion was anti-democratic and anti-democratic for basically no reason and anti-democratic just by clerking and by getting very wonkish with meeting organization. And I think that's done us a huge disservice on this item, not the least of which because it put Andrew Knack into damage control all week on Twitter trying to say, no, no, I didn't want to give the police $11.9 million, even though I voted no to the both of the reduction motions. We just didn't get to my thing. Yeah. And like, I'm okay with us, you know, raging at counselors
1: on Twitter, but I'd prefer if we were able to participate in democracy. before we did <laughs> I think you raise a really good point. And it does, I think, reflect the frustration that many counselors had in that meeting. I also don't want to throw the clerk under the bus here. I think they had, uh, you know, the clerk's office and Eileen Geisbrecht in particular had an incredibly difficult job trying to keep things orderly and moving forward and clear. And what they were all trying to do in this situation was try to address, you know, the complexity between all of the different positions and what people wanted and a realistic way of actually making that happen. You can't just make a whole bunch of motions you know, defeat one, make a new one, defeat one, make a new one, they'd be there forever. This was deemed to be the right way to go about it. Uh, I think it was Andrew Knack was going to put that $6.2 million motion on the table, decided it would be too complicated and didn't. So, you know, what we ended up with, as you point out, was far less than ideal, but it was a way for them to move the discussion forward, I suppose. And uh, did we get the best result? Maybe not. But we got our result. Done is better than perfect. No. (laughs) Oh, wow. That
0: is a very, very strong endorsement of the process.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, in the end for me, you know, I I think the strategy of or, or the position of I want to cut the police budget, but not till next year is just ridiculous. I think Andrew Knack and Tim Cartmel's position is ridiculous. I definitely am in the camp that thinks you can always get more information. I think we have very clear information already from all of the reports that we've gotten, from the recommendations of the Safer for All report, from all of the public hearings that were held, that we don't want to keep doing what we're doing. And we do want to start taking some of the largest line item in our budget and put that into root causes. Let's fund some of the programs that can help address those root causes that are resulting in crime. Let's take the burden off the police service to some extent. I don't think, we needed to give them another year to prepare for that. I would have been quite happy for Councillor Janz's motion to be passed this this time right away.
0: And that's probably why we both predicted it. And lo and behold, we were both wrong. Andrew Knack and Sarah Hamilton were both on the no side of the police budget votes and, you know, got some flack on it for Twitter. And you might think that this puts them in the unenviable position of being very, very sad about their council budget being on the losing side. But they actually touted a really significant win in the West End with the funding of the Lewis Farms Recreation Center, which was a huge chunk of change to come out of a budget adjustment.
1: This is a huge item. It was a 12 to 1 vote. The only councillor who voted against this was Michael Jans. It's a $282.9 million project for the Lewis Farms Community Rec Center and Library. This is to be Constructed and funded from 2022 to 2028. Construction is expected to be complete right around Christmas 2026, and you'd be able to start using the facility sometime in the fall of 2027. This is a project that has been on the books for a long time. It seems like every time we talk about capital budget, there's a discussion about Lewis Farms, and it's always deemed to be too expensive. And I think the argument this time that finally carried the day was that the longer we put it off, the more expensive it gets. If only we
0: could just never fund it. But apparently that puts me in the minority. (laughs) (laughs) So we've funded... Lewis Farms, we also funded Coronation Rec Center, which wasn't a brand new rec center, but had experienced some cost overruns and council decided to fund those as well.
1: Yeah, that was another $41 million for Coronation. And on top of that, uh, moving around is some money, but another $10.5 million for the Peter Hemingway Fitness and Leisure Center. And there's sort of a connection between the two there.
0: So between all of that, that's a pretty big chunk of change for what I mentioned was a supplementary budget adjustment for the end of a four-year budget cycle. Municipalities do have a debt ceiling and municipalities can't run deficits. So servicing of debts is a real concern. And we're coming up on another new four year budget cycle. Does this put us in a situation where we've kind of already
1: spent a lot of our upcoming money? I think it does. It puts us in a position where the number of big ticket items that we're going to see in the next four-year budget, certainly in the capital, are going to be probably not as many as we might have expected otherwise. We added $378,000, in, a, in annual debt servicing costs, just with the things that they voted on and approved as part of this adjustment. And when you add up things that were previously approved, the uh, CPR rail crossing and some of those other big, big ticket items, those projects that cost a lot of money, we've already approved a whole bunch of that next budget. And we're going to start having more serious conversations, I think, about how much more debt we can actually take on without having to dramatically increase tax levies every year in order to cover the cost of that debt. The one big item that I think Andrew Knack and a couple of the counselors said they would like to see more of in the next four-year budget is alley renewal. So there's 0.3% of this increase is for alley renewal. And they said, you know, we need to do way more of that in the next four-year. But I think they are, you know, going to be a little bit more restricted than we thought they might have been.
0: Well, there's always money for bike lanes. Good return on investment. So now that we've alienated the remainder of our (laughs) listeners at the end of the year,
1: Mac, I think
0: it's the end of the year. I think that's it. But we're not free until we get paid. So here's an ad. This episode is brought to you by The Future of Podcast from ATB. It's hosted by Todd Hirsch, ATB Financial's Vice President and Chief Economist. The Future of Podcast has launched its third season. By connecting with industry leaders to uncover what's on the horizon for things that might mean the most to you, The Future of Podcast promises to give you insights to help you navigate what is often an uncertain future? Explore how our economy and communities not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunity it creates. You can subscribe to The Future of in the Apple Store, Google Play, and Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are sold. And you can connect with us at slash The Future of. Mac, we're done. We're done. It's Christmas. What are your plans, Troy? Probably going to party with 616 year olds, as I am legally entitled to do without consequence. <laughs> A bold, a bold plan for the holiday season. I wish you all the best with that. Unfortunately, um, as we're recording this on Monday, December twentieth, uh, the Omicron variant is taking its sweet, sweet hold of Alberta and Quebec. Just today, has announced lockdowns, wave N plus one, and I fear that by the time I'm ready to fully implement my holiday plans perhaps they may not be as accessible as I had hoped they would be this year
1: Well, in that case then I do wish you all the best in the new year. It is of course 2022
0: <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what to do with it, this Mac it, I don't know how to pull that? out of...
1: did you get that Oh in that in that it feels like 2020 all over again 2020
0: to 2020 I di- I didn't get that but that's a really good joke and I'm gonna put me not getting it as the closer to this episode. <laughs> It's not my joke, but I do think it's pretty good. Until next year, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Municipally. municipally.